0: Hey, family, welcome to the Kinship Collective podcast. We are ending otherness and cultivating kinship. I'm Mark. I'm the host. Glad you're here. And I have a unique question for you based on our conversation this week. You probably read it in the headline already. But do you have a sexual relationship with yourself? I guess maybe a more accurate question is do you have a healthy relationship? sexual relationship with yourself. I think we could probably put a bunch of adjectives before that. Healthy, fun, enjoyable. Mm, uh, Those are the ones that I can come up with. Uh, Many of us come from conservative families, conservative religions that never gave us permission to enjoy our bodies. Some of us even felt the responsibility for how other people engage with their bodies based on our own bodies. This week we get to hang with a registered nurse mom of three adult women, Cindy Sharkey. She shares with us her mission of helping people experience and express and enjoy their sexuality. She talks a lot about the kind of work that she does. How long she's been doing it what kind of lights her up about that work you will feel her energy her kindness her hospitality her empathy and really her wisdom really practical wisdom and really transformational wisdom our conversation will give you really personal transformational insight into sex as well as really practical tactical ways to make sure you're setting yourself up for the best sex of your life. <laughs> Even as I read it, I'm like eh. pretty bold claim. So this week, without further ado, here's Cindy Sharky. Ladies and gentlemen, today I am joined with an incredible. Human. She is an RN, a BSN. She's a healthcare professional with over 35 years of experience. She has had a career as a certified childbirth educator, OBGYN nurse and speaker. She's been consistently exposed to the taboos and silence surrounding women's sexuality. It's because of this stuff that she is passionate about opening the doors for women to have conversations about expressing and experiencing and enjoying their sexuality. She has this desire to give parents the right information to feel confident in guiding their children through conversations about puberty and sex. She is the host of Permission for Pleasure and she is married to her high school sweetheart. And they have three adult daughters together whom they adore. Ladies and gentlemen, would you give it up for Cindy Sharky?
1: Wow. Mark, I love that. I'm going to have to add that to my pod, have a little <laughs> applause and audience participation. Thank Come you for on. That. <laughs> hey, you
0: know, Riverside, Riverside.
2: <laughs> love it.
0: Cindy, I, I think for me, uh, those are the things that are public about you. And I would say from my interactions with you, what feels really important to communicate one, your smile and warmth that kind of diffuse some of the tension or awkwardness around the conversation, your being just says, Hey, this is, we, we all are human. We're all navigating this. Let's talk about it. And you have 35 years of kind of the history behind it, but your smile and your presence say, Hey, it it's okay. Let's talk about that. So I wanted to say that I think the way that I would describe the smile and that kind of winsomeness of, uh, of a crochet vulva in a public room of people that have never met you before. I think that that winsomeness invites people to like, begin the conversation and it means so much to me. I'm so grateful that you're here. So I wanted to add that to the intro too.
1: Thank you. Thanks for that. And thanks for having me.
0: Yes, ma'am. Well, Cindy, I've kind of introduced you. You have this healthcare background. You've raised three adult daughters. Talk to me about how you begin that journey into a conversation around permission for pleasure. How does that be, start to become this value that starts driving your life?
2: Mm.
1: I would say, you know, when, when I was working actively as a nurse in clinical care care, I took care of women most my whole, almost my whole career. And what I found is that women didn't have the education they needed around pleasure. Um, So this is one piece of the puzzle Mm. that they didn't have the education around pleasure, physical pleasure, sexual pleasure And women in general were trained up in my day, and I think in a lot of ways still today, Mm -hmm. um, to not embrace pleasure. That pleasure is somehow bad or naughty or selfish or, I don't know, put in an adjective. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. It's not encouraged to seek out pleasure. And... Those two things over all the years, I think, and in my own journey into it as well, really caused me to feel like what women needed, who is who I mainly speak to, is more permission for pleasure mm. so that's the that's the short version
0: <laughs> we There's a couple of things that come to my mind i I want this the seventy two hour version. <laughs> but I also, I'm curious about two things. The first question that came to my mind is, for someone that kind of came out of the church world, I understand some of the kind of religious bent control, kind of like body is bad and spirit is good. At least for me, some of the things that I internalized around mm-hmm. sexuality. Um, but when you're sharing, it sounds like you're sharing a more um, holistic perspective that it wasn't just like Christian women that were having this challenge would, is that what was true? Could you share more about that?
1: Yeah, that is true. That is true. I I think that I saw, I see it and I did see it more within, and I wouldn't just say religious, but conservative
2: Mm.
1: backgrounds, women with conservative backgrounds or Mm -hmm. strict upbringings or, religious upbringings but not not always i just think culturally there also is some of this pervasive idea of not allowing ourselves to experience and embrace pleasure mm. you know i'm i'm a woman i raised three daughters i i work with women and so i'm curious for you you know, Do you, I feel like so many girls are trained up in a way to not listen to their bodies,
2: mm-hmm.
1: to not look at their bodies,
2: mm-hmm.
1: to not acknowledge any kind of, especially arousal or normal desire or that kind of thing. How did you find that growing up for you? I mean, did you, were you under that same kind of training up, so to speak, or did you feel like it was different for you?
0: No, I think it's actually, well, I think there's two things for me. I think there are many things. <laughs> I think what comes up for me is one, my father wasn't around. So the guy who was older than me, who also had. Um, Matching genitalia wasn't around in a way where he could um, help me make meaning in a way.
2: Hmm.
0: Now, yeah, the way he used his genitalia is the reason he wasn't around. So I don't know that I would have wanted that kind of apprenticeship either but but there was an absence there of that voice that i could trust and a, of a, of a of a welcoming into that kind of embracing my my physicality i think that's one i think also i was also in this a conservative religious household that really pitted spirit and body against each other And so that meant that it just, um, I'm trying to frame this right because I think this is the first time I've thought about it in this way. Because I don't think anybody just overtly said anything negative uh, other than like the messages maybe I internalized from scripture or things like that. It just wasn't celebrated body and pleasure wasn't celebrated spirit and speaking in tongues in the circles I grew up in and like, you know, miraculous kind of like spiritual things was celebrated, but not body. So that that's, that's kind of like the, the, the story I came out of. So, and there weren't, it wasn't like a normal conversation. And my mother, my mother is, um, she was pretty open about certain things, but she's also a white woman. And so I don't know if, you know, that, that conversation she tried to outsource to, you know, a white man at my church. And I remember, you know, I, he been trying to have this conversation with me. is kind of fumbly bumbly. And that's why I think your voice is so important because it's not fumbly bumbly. You have this medical background and it's just sure and steady and, welcoming to like the 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 bumbles and fumbles someone else might have but you are kind of centered in your approach to it and i think that's what helps people to encounter some of that that permission that you're that you're giving but so for me that conversation my mom outsourced it it was fumbly bumbly i remember being at a stater brothers in line and he's like trying to say some things not quite saying the exact things and i think in that world like Everyone's trying to make sense and say the right thing and maybe not say what's the most true thing for them or what they've or even share their own encounters that might be like shameful or because like, well, I didn't do it right. I don't want you to do it the way I did it, but, you know, I want you to do it God's way. I'm not exactly sure God's way. I didn't do it myself, but I'm trying to tell you what I think you need to hear or want to hear versus like maybe what's most true for me. But that that was my growing up conversation experience.
1: I appreciate you sharing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think it's a pretty common, you know, common growing up that I hear from people. Mm. There, there tends to be a lot of silence. Mm -hmm. Some because of what you just described, which is not knowing what to say or not feeling comfortable saying. (laughs) So saying nothing. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Or perpetuating the shame message
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is pervasive yeah um because you yourself experience the shame message and then we don't know anything different sometimes as parents and we do the best we can right mm-hmm. with what with what we know and to to parent our kids and yet um that just keeps rolling forward and mm-hmm. rolling forward and rolling forward hmm
2: mm. I,
0: so when you say shame is the motivator sometimes that we're passing on because we've experienced it. To me, I was thinking about the way that this person tried to talk with me in the grocery store and these competing values of like, again, in that setting, who I'm supposed to be The way that my body is waking up to attraction and waking up to arousal in new ways. And it's almost like my body is telling me one thing and these rules, back to what you're saying, um, are trying to make me something that doesn't feel congruent to where my body is. we mentioned shame and we mentioned rules. We mentioned maybe education
1: and silence
0: and silence. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I, I guess I'm trying to articulate or ask you about what are the kinds of factors that play into silence? Hmm.
2: Uh,
0: shame, miseducation mm-hmm. and rules or religious rules from, from where I'm sitting. What other and things? Lack
1: of, lack of practice, Mark
0: yeah yeah I
1: think this is what this is a big message I mean I, this is what I talk about at my parenting workshops all the time learning to talk about our bodies and normal body functions and sex and sexuality and pleasure and desire it's it's a skill you learn and it takes mm-hmm. practice just like just like anything else mm-hmm. people are so inundated with this message that you know, conversations should just be natural or sex should just be natural or yeah. but, but, you know it, i don't know this natural business which is
2: mm-hmm.
1: where does that all come from i don't have the, the answers for, for that's a deeper conversation but mm-hmm. i do hear this narrative quite a bit of shouldn't it just be natural or shouldn't my child just naturally know you know this or that and i no, i i don't believe that's true I I think that just like anything else, it needs conversation and education and talking openly to spark more conversations and more conversations with ourselves and with one another.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one thing that's coming up for me around that, the the practice and the education we we haven't had it modeled for us somebody's got to do it first um as it relates to parents because i think that word outsourcing kind of keeps coming to the forefront of my mind where we're just mm. trusting that well the school will do it which is interesting because back to like money and sex and politics uh these things that have become these taboo topics where we we try not to talk about them you know, let's say at the Thanksgiving table, or these—you know—the these sacred places, church, your your Thanksgiving table, which to me is like, well, if your Thanksgiving table or your church can't, or the or your sacred space can't hold the reality of who you are as it relates to politics or sex or finances, I don't—I don't know what to tell you. There are some things I think, but uh, but I don't know what to mm-hmm. tell you. Um, but it just feels it feels like we're trying to outsource that conversation, but it's one of these precious conversations that really tells us where we are. It means so much to us and that it, it, I think maybe that causes some of the angst where it's like, if I get this wrong, then maybe my child will go through some of the, the wounds or some of the repression or some of the things I've gone through. And I don't want that, which then, then we kind of, fulfill that kind of self-fulfilling prophecy on our own by we create the vacuum of information and they got to go figure it out in the same way we did. And then they end up where we did potentially or wherever they will end up. It's interesting.
1: Could I just encourage you? I mean, as a parent of younger kids,
0: right? Yes. Yes.
1: That you can start wherever you are.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So anyone listening, you know, it's never too late. Mm -hmm. I really truly believe that. Um, there, there is times now even with my th- over thirty daughter where I come back around and say, "Hey, I realize now like I, I did not t- teach that well when you were younger, or I didn't communicate that well, or I no longer believe that mm. which I did teach you, and I want to let you know now, and I'm I feel I feel badly inside, or I'm sorry mm-hmm. that I." You know, I didn't know that then.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That kind of repair too is possible
2: mm-hmm. at,
1: at any age and valuable and healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, for 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 wherever you are, that's your starting point.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh Even man. to
1: say, Mark, like I didn't really get a lot of education growing up. You know, around okay, I had three daughters around periods, like no one Mm -hmm. told me anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a nurse, so I'm gonna start talking about periods. So, (laughs) you know, or, or, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. wet dreams, or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, no one told me anything. And I want you to know ahead, Mm -hmm. you know, what's going to happen, so -hmm. that we can always talk about your questions and what's happening. And this is part of your overall health. So I'm kind of I'm kind of segueing into that. But of course, that's my lane. But do you see it's like you you can always frame out and say, hey, I, I didn't get a lot of education, so I may be kind of learning some things, how we could talk about it as we go. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good thing. That's a good approach.
0: Mm-hmm. It, um, when you say that, it reminds me of um, Brene Brown and just the vulnerability that it would take. Because I can sense in my mind to say I don't know. In, in, a, in, a, in a family system, maybe, where it, it's, it might feel risky to be like, I don't know. But the beauty, like you're saying, the repair, the healing, and, and, and on the front end, the way you're opening a conversation about anything, saying like, hey, remember, in our home, nothing is off limits, uh, conversation-wise. <laughs> in our home, we can talk about anything. And just so, you know, I I don't, that doesn't mean I know everything about everything, but it means I always want to hear what you're thinking and I always want to know what you're feeling and I want to be on your side and we can discover together. So, and,
1: and Mark, so if we say that, we want to make sure we're following through. mm -hmm. So we can, we can say that, but we also need to demonstrate with our actions and our initiations of conversation that this is so.
0: Yeah, that's really good.
1: So let me give you an example, because this is, you know, this is so important when your child comes to you with a question that feels uncomfortable or takes you off guard, Mm -hmm. or you're like, yikes, I don't, ah," you you know, that feeling like, ah, right. Uh (laughs) That's normal. That's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Kids are curious, and that's a normal thing for them. They're going to ask questions of crazy stuff. And as a parent, you can say, wow, I'm really curious. What made you ask that? Like reframe to give yourself a second. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then
1: also you can say, that's a really important question, and I want to think about that and then circle back and answer Let's let's talk in an hour or two when I can think. You know, think. I want to think about that. You, yeah, we could do that. We don't have to answer off the cuff. Yes, right. Give ourselves some grace, mm-hmm. and then make sure you follow through.
0: Yeah, I, that was. You know, when you when you said that, it immediately kind of um, it just um, it spoke to me because I think. And I think just to be candid, I can be good at um, saying the thing that I know I want to be true and the aspirational truth or whatever. But if I'm not modeling that we can do it, then, I'm, then I'm, I'm demonstrating we can't. So here we can talk about anything. But if I'm not willing to bring up anything or talk about anything, I'm not demonstrating it, then my actions are saying that we can't. So I feel... Oh man that speaks to me about what you're saying so I I thank you for that. Cindy I think I, we
1: all we're all in that place Mark. I mm-hmm. mean you know and look we all have to say say what we mean and then act on what we mean. Mm-hmm. Match it up.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Cindy I want to shift our our focus because of your work. <sighs> Uh, Cindy, where do you want to go? Mark? I know where I want to go. I'm just trying to like frame it because in, in, in some of the kinship spaces that we create, I'm around different ages of people that are waking up or giving themselves permission in different ways. Mm. And so I guess I was going to try to construct a avatar of a person. We have a, uh, We have a young 30s mom who grew up in a conservative family, but is waking up to something new around sexuality. That's where I'm like, how do I create the avatar? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to say young 40s mom. Okay. And she's waking up to to sexuality in a new way, whatever that means for her. She's in her second marriage. Um, Let's say sexuality was a challenge in her first marriage. She became aware of, and she's in her second marriage, blended family with kids. How would you, she's, she's trying to wake up to pleasure and sexuality in a new way. She calls you, your assistant's assistant assistant says she can meet with you in four years, but the four years have come. And now she gets to sit across the table with you, or she's in your workshop. How do you begin that conversation with her about sexuality?
1: I think a jumping point for anyone. I'm just I'm just grinning inside because I just spoke to a group of 100 women last week in the very common to the scenario you're bringing up, mm. all, all sorts of from all sorts of places. But this is a common common place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is is do you do you think you have a sexual relationship with yourself? Mm. So often I find that at least for women. They, they have never considered that they have their own sexual relationship with themselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that is so important. And I think that what we've talked about before this, you know, kind of gives some framework. Women are often not taught to have a sexual relationship with themselves, nor to develop their own sexual ethics. There's so much repressed uh, acknowledgement of their body, of arousal, of pleasure, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: of sex being for them. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And so this woman you're describing is possibly realizing for the first time in a different relationship that perhaps sex is for her and pleasure matters and her pleasure matters hmm And what can that look like? And how do I explore that? And so it starts with, how do I feel about my own self and my own sexual ethic? What what do I believe? What is my attitude about that for myself? Because I do believe we have a, our own sexual relationship. If we're partnered, they have their own, and we have one together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's where it starts. And then it's really investigating your perspective of pleasure. People don't do this. They, they always look at me a little like, what? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. But it's like the layers of an onion, Mark. You know, there's a lot that we take in, either realizing and it's, you know, obvious or we just we the subliminal messages and, mm-hmm. and media and culture and, and just all of it. That if we don't sit with ourselves and sort of peel off the layers and consider and pay attention, and what do I really believe? What have I heard that I no longer believe?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: What can I let go of? What do I want to hold tight to? Mm -hmm. These kinds of questions. Everybody wants an easy button, (laughs) but it takes this kind of investigation and Thinking about our own selves and our own sexuality first.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, well, I, I, several things come up for me. I think, you know, that, that repression thing is huge. I think around in conservative spaces where, again, for me, that was my experience. Like, freak. My body is telling me that, like, I want these things. But, uh-huh. like... But God is telling me, heavens no, you can't even afford to take a girl on a date, let alone marry her right now, you little 12-year-old or whatever, the, you know, whatever that is like. I just feel that, um, that, 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 that pull and being – for me, I can just feel the like trying to push this thing in a box. Like I'm trying to make mm. it fit something that it's not right now. And for me, a lot of like my young adulthood, I, I'm smiling thinking my brothers I grew up with who I love. And I remember it was like one weekend, I'm rolling with y'all. The next weekend, man, no, I don't drink no more. Man, I don't do this no more. I don't do that no more. And just trying to like fit, you know, my my humanity into like the Christian box. And it was just my journey, my wrestling. But repression to me, that word feels like, oh, get in there like trying to force something that where it doesn't want to be, where it's not meant to be. I just didn't have the tools to navigate desire. And so for me, there was that repression. So that stood out to me. I also, I want to come back around to sexual ethic and how you would guide people. How do I name that? But what I heard you say was it is a very personal process of being intentional you talked about there's things that we there are things that we are unintentionally holding on to ideas we haven't articulated out loud we haven't written down on a piece of paper like tell me everything you actually you really actually forensically ever heard about sex when you were a kid and you just write it down and be like do you know that these beliefs are still affecting you somehow either unintentionally right um subconsciously They, they really are so do some work. You know, when you, you talked about that 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 personal work, make a declaration about these beliefs. Does this serve you? How does it serve you? Does this not serve you? Does this allow you to be who you want to be? Does this allow you to participate sexually in the ways that you think are healthy for you now? Or does this, again, make you try and repress and fit yourself into this box that maybe you don't want to be in anymore? But that intentionality of, of having that space to walk through that and to be guided through that – we just don't have, it, or, or we haven't created it, and we don't have people, um, well, we do have them, but we just didn't know that we had people like Cindy out there that could help us to do that journey. And so that becomes one of my questions when you talked about, you talked about letting go of some of those beliefs about sexuality, unconscious or conscious. Um, you know, uh, Mary, you know, Mary walks in, And you guys have this conversation. She says, Cindy, how do I let go, though? Like, how? Mm. And Mm. what do you say?
1: I think when we do the unraveling
0: Mm. first, Mm -hmm.
1: when we look at the things, when we – I'm a big journaler. You don't have to. You could draw them out. You could speak it out. You could just sit down with a a friend or – whatever but this is the joy this is the biggest joy in my work Mm -hmm. is when a a woman's i can just see when her the light go on and she realizes that she can be out get out of the box Mm
2: -hmm. that
1: is that just lights me up inside Mm -hmm. so when we take the time to look at some of these things that have influenced us and throw out, you know, what we no longer want to hold to or that we no longer believe. Or also recognize the things that are hindering us. And then making a decision about those things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And even coming to the place of, and this takes a while, it, it of Learning to affirm that I am worthy of pleasure, Mm. that my body is designed to experience pleasure, and that my pleasure matters. And believing those statements as you affirm to yourself. And this is sometimes what it takes. Mm. So, okay, let me give you a tangible example because this is a very common example. So maybe I'm going eat, but like the do you, do you know what gatekeeper the gatekeeper mentality is for girls growing up? Have you heard that term before, Mark? Mm-mm. So this is women and girls in general are, are especially in religious households and conservative households are taught to be the
0: gatekeepers of sex,
1: meaning they are responsible.
0: Oh man! For
1: risk repercussions uh, it's their responsibility mm. to not allow sex uh, that often what I mean what I heard in many in my my age group is that boys cannot be held responsible for their desires lusts. so this kind of mantras right so mm. some of you maybe are listening going what <laughs> and some of you are thinking I heard that mm-hmm. oh I heard that. Mm-hmm. And this leaves girls growing up learning how to not acknowledge arousal in particular. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: I'm getting specific here because I want to give a tangible example of what I mean. Mm -hmm. This is a common thing I work through with women. Because we are gatekeeping, right, Mm -hmm. to not allow things to move anywhere or wherever we put the boundary we don't allow ourselves to experience and acknowledge arousal because we are in charge we are responsible Mm -hmm. we are thinking we are paying attention Mm -hmm. where's their hands where's my hands where's is that button does it not i I don't want to feel anything because i'm in charge of keeping things at this place Mm -hmm. i'm the gatekeeper Mm -hmm. does this make sense
0: It makes sense and it feels terrible.
1: Hmm. Doesn't it? Mm. Because it just really hinders women from growing up to feel freedom
2: Mm -hmm.
1: to feel Mm. in their bodies. Mm. To even recognize normal arousal in their bodies. Mm -hmm. And that is not a switch you can just flip, Mark. Yeah. That's a very tangible example of one of the things that's often part of this onion, you know, of mm-hmm. our sexuality, mm-hmm. so to speak, or garden or whatever you want to use, mm-hmm. you know, your metaphor, that if we don't unpeel these layers of what's ingrained there, it's hard to then move out of the box and widen, you know, our the box to what we now believe for ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Cindy, when you're mentioning out of the box, for me, the question that comes to my mind is about the most complicated box you've seen someone come out of. Mm. So I'm curious. One of the things that I was at an event four or five years ago, there was a couple there that shared about their journey. They had three young children and they had come out of a religious conservative environment. One of them was queer and one of them wasn't. And they thought, you know, they were going to work together, create a family. They were open about it. And there came a moment where they realized, okay, we don't have to keep, the queer sexuality in the box, but now my queer sexuality doesn't fit into the family we've created. And they created rhythms around family. I was sitting in the audience and they were telling me this with like a smile and wholehearted kind of authenticity and integrity, what felt like integrity. And I was like, there's no way they're both this happy about them splitting or creating new reality with one another. Like, I, my mind just didn't even have um, places to put that maybe. I was just like, no way. There's no way they're both this happy for real. I don't, I can't. I don't, how could they be? I'm curious about when you have saw, saw someone waking up and now the new them doesn't fit into, so they're coming out of their box, but now there's a, a system of family around them or a system around them that, Maybe no longer contains the more whole, the more healed. This this different version of them. Do you have any stories about that?
1: I would. I hmm, hmm, I have to be really careful. Um, yeah. I think that that those situations when I've come into them with women there comes a point where they i'll be honest most often as as much as you may not believe it most often partners want to learn and grow and and can and and work work through with you what what is going on yeah it may take a, a professional to come alongside and help navigate those conversations, certainly,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I highly encourage that. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's often this narrative where people think, well, just, you know, forget it, you know, they, they're not interested. And I haven't found that to be true. <laughs> so you're describing this couple, this family, and that's what I see more often than not, yeah. which is hopeful, Right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in these other situations where, you know, a person comes up against complete concrete and they have changed, then it becomes a, a time of real decision making. Yeah. About can I continue to flourish and grow where I am mm-hmm. and be true to myself in the in the relationship I'm in? Or can I not?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in those situations, most of the women that I've met with they can no longer hide themselves
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and discount their own voice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So and, and in a conversation like this, I can't you know, there are so many yeah. people who have experienced abuse and molestation and sexual assault and it is so overwhelmingly rampant and sickening but also has to be part of this conversation in some way because it is a a big part of what we hold and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and need to work through get help working through heal and it and there's such hope for that healing Mm -hmm. And especially in community of some kind. So I bring that up because we can't discount the the reality of the numbers of people that have experienced that. And this comes up a lot in these situations you're you're talking about, too, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: where they finally face what happened to them and Mm -hmm. realize that they were not responsible and Mm -hmm. quit shaming themselves and then you're right; the box gets much bigger. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a tangent, but no, I—it's so important to me to recognize those who've been victimized and and to say, "I see you," and mm-hmm. and this is a big, this is big, and and there is healing and hope, mm-hmm. and I want that for you,
0: mm-hmm. Cindy. I appreciate that, and that that's that doesn't feel tangential to me at all, I think. I really love what you said to go back um, to speaking to the situation. And yeah, I I think even the way I framed the question is like, tell us another story, another Mm -hmm. difficult story of a family. But what I really was more curious about is what you did speak on, which is like, well, the reality of navigating a difficult space like that. And one of the, the most beautiful realities is that A partner who loves you loves you and if they might have to face the difficulty of loving you in a different structured relationship but they still love you and I think that belief of of maintaining that belief and that reality and sometimes it's not real and then it's like well what kind of choice are you making anyway if they don't care enough about you to be alongside you in this or to like, but there's a lot of pain also that a partner experiences in that, in a change like that or Mm -hmm. in anything that's going to change their life and their world. That's, that's, it's a lot, it's a whole lot. So not to belittle that, but I really appreciate that reminder that this is a person that you've built life with. And if they love you, it will be a, a kind of experience. Sometimes they can love mm-hmm. you and still feel like a brick or not be really open to evolution or change. That's okay, sure. too. But I, I, first of all, I appreciate that. Then I to speak to the, I, I, you know, I feel like I, I might be ignorant here, but the last time that I checked it was one in three women experiencing some sort of sexual trauma and one in maybe six men. I, am I close? Am I off? That's
1: pretty close, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
0: What, what are that it's
1: just it's pre, it's just prevalent and pervasive and so much is non-reported that mm. i would say that's that's probably that's fine those are fine the statistics to give but there're so many that never speak up mm-hmm. and a lot of times i meet with those women and they have never told anybody what happened to them until we meet and that's why I know it to be a very underreported um, mm-hmm. and also a, such a, per, such a pervasive wound and, and hurt that carries over into everything we're, we're, we're talking about here and especially in sexuality, yeah. shame, silence and how we feel in our bodies and, and so it is it is something that i always bring up because i want people to hear that they're not alone mm-hmm. and that it matters and they matter mm-hmm. and i see such hope and healing with so many of the people i work with and i want people to hear and hear that
2: mm-hmm.
1: It's important to keep saying
0: that out loud. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. To me that feels again like integrated. It don't I can almost like in my head see a, the cycle of it. Mm. Um and how wounded people wound people and how people who are repressing something it just it just it leaks out, it, and it wounds someone else, and then now they're marked with shame and silence, and and then they're you know, and whenever they can heal or get whole from that, it, I, I just in my head I just see the, the the interconnected cyclical nature of how that would happen. So, and and I and I, again I see what you're doing as something that speaks to that and breaks that cycle and creates healing and wholeness, and and then those people can help you know, give others permission. And I think that's incredible. Cindy, I want to circle back to what you talked about a sexual ethic. Can you, would you define what that is to you and then share a little bit about how you guide people to creating that for themselves?
1: Mm -hmm. I see your sexual ethic as what you believe about sexuality what are your beliefs around it? What are your attitudes? Um, even your actions
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and really coming to a place of understanding what you believe, what your attitude is and what your actions will be,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so to speak, and you know, big picture. So, I don't really think a lot of people do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I certainly didn't do it when I was a young person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we don't give a big framework for young people to do this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then because of that, they struggle to understand consent. They struggle to understand that their no is as important as their yes. I'm giving one example. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't feel like you can say no, you really aren't capable of saying yes mm. enthusiastically. Mm-hmm. So this is one little piece, but because we don't give framework as the young as young people are, and we're, maybe it's going to get better, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I hope it's getting better. I mean, I'm talking as loud as I can, <laughs> but and, and there are others, beautiful, yeah. uh, you know, beautiful others, mm-hmm. humans that are doing this, but. Um. Giving people permission to think about how they feel, what their attitudes are, and their own beliefs are, and sifting through, just like we've said, what they've taken in and ingested, what they've swallowed,
2: mm-hmm.
1: looking at it, and then bringing it all out onto the table, I say, and sifting through it. mm mm-hmm. And sometimes it does take a, a trained person to help you do that. I mean, you're not weird or odd, or if you're like, I don't even, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I don't. This is so overwhelming, right? I mean, women come to me all the time for consults, and that's how they start the conversation. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know what's up. I just know I don't like sex, or I do like sex, or I want sex, and my partner does. I mean, whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. We think it's all about sex. This is it.
2: Mm.
1: We think it is about the sex. Mm. And there are so many questions underneath that. That then really lead to the core of the questions and the, the beliefs and attitudes that are leading to whatever the problem or issue is with sex. Mm. So that's why I say you have to come back to this, Mark, because people come to all the time, Cindy. Yeah, we have a problem with sex. I mean, or I have a problem, or but when we peel back and answer these other questions about how we feel or things we've been talking about today, or you know, then it helps you answer whatever you think the problem or issue is about sex does that make sense
0: yes absolutely the 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 behavior and your experience around sex are a symptom of what's happening within you about what you believe about sex back to your ideas your attitudes around Mm -hmm. sex what you're experiencing sexually are pointing to well what belief might be creating that kind of resistance or what what experience have you had in the past that might be creating whatever you're experiencing now. So that that's okay. No, i And
1: let's totally, and that's one piece. So mm-hmm. I'm hearing you reframe it. And I'm also want to say, if you're not experiencing pleasure with the sex you're having, mm-hmm. you're going to be hard pressed to have desire for sex. Yep. So if the sex, you, you know, you have to have sex worth wanting. Mm-hmm. So that's the other piece of a lot of what I educate about But this other piece is big too, because, okay, let's be practical. If your mental load, we just talked about this with a group. So it's like, if your mental load, the running to-do list in Mm -hmm. your head is like, you you cannot enjoy sex. I mean, and Mm -hmm. you resent your partner because they don't, they're not doing all these invisible things. They're just running in your head. Yeah. Right. And, And so then you're, you're, you get in the bedroom and it's like, I don't even know if I like you. I have so much to do. Do you understand? Like, I got the birthday party over there, and my mother, our mother-in-law's doing this, and the soccer, and what we have yeah. for dinner? Do we have groceries? Okay, I'm going off. But,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, I this, this is a
1: common scenario where yeah. then w- women will say, I don't, know." Like, so let's peel that back a little bit. The mental load is leading to resentment. The resentment is the desire killer. Mm-hmm. See how this goes. Mm, ding ding ding. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I'm getting practical, and this is a heavy. We, we've kind of talked about some heavier things, yeah. which I, I want to. And let, let's. And also, I want to give you an, a practical example of what I see day in and day out. That is, do you are you enjoying the sex you're having? Yeah. And are these other things built up that are pushing the brakes on your? desire Mm -hmm. so
0: I'm so grateful for you sharing that and going there because I think my head around this stuff is like the I'm thinking about that permission and some of that and I don't usually you know think about well let's there's really like tangible factors that are playing in and if 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 a partner cannot be present in that moment they can enjoy it regardless of what's happening uh, even if it is sex worth having, if there's resentment or some emotional frustration or a mm. an offense that you're just holding on to I, I same voice as the repression voice whatever that is it, it it's creating a barrier to desire and enjoyment and pleasure mm. Mm. oh man that's so helpful that's so here's helpful.
1: one more just really practical because every time i i just People think, Mark, that desire for sex has some somehow its own energy tank. Like it's separate. And for some, somehow it's separate. It's not. It's from the same energy tank as everything else in your life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what I hear from especially moms of littles mm-hmm. is they have no energy. So they can't figure out, Cindy. I don't have any desire. Something's wrong with my go button. Like I, it's, I don't know. It's, it's something's wrong with it. It's off or it's broken or I'm broken. I'm like, mm-hmm. you're not broken, honey. Your energy tank right now is is in the toilet, yeah. right? Yeah. A- and your desire comes from that same energy tank. So if there's no energy there, there's no desire there.
2: Mm.
1: I'm just trying to give a couple just practical things because I think so often we 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 forget that it's all one.
0: Mm-hmm. That is.
1: It's all. It's all part of it.
0: Mm-hmm. That that that's that that is really important. <laughs> I feel like these uh these this practical section is like is the section, and that's why I, I love people can get to your to permission for pleasure podcast. And listen to those conversations that you'll have many seasons and many conversations that can give you even more perspective into some of the practical and some of the kind of like high level or deeper or some of those other questions we've been talking about. So the last question I have for you, Cindy, is about your hope. You talked about the future and hoping something different for kids and, and, I, and I just see the impact of when, when – in our conversation about the cyclical nature of unhealth or instability or fear or resentment or just woundedness in all of this. When you think about the work that you're doing and the ways that you've shifted career to say, you know what, I'm not doing this stuff anymore. I really just want to see people and especially women liberated into pleasure and to be able to desire and I love what you said about like you're not broken there's nothing wrong with you like let's understand what's happening here and to give people that for you back to like what's practical when when you think about the person who comes into the front end of the workshop what's your highest hope and a workshop is kind of like this the the one-off kind of thing but when you think about that journey can you describe the end of the journey when someone is, has given themselves permission to pleasure and now they're like, go button is working, the on button works, the like stay button where all the buttons work? <laughs> Can you describe what, what that reality is?
1: Well, since you're using the on, I'm getting all excited. So let me just take a deep breath. Okay. <laughs> when you're using the on button analogy which is how our brain works an accelerator and a and a brake right there's a two part system one of the big things that that i think people's aha is is realizing that the ways in which we turn ourselves off they override our on so people think their accelerator or their on or their go button, like you're describing is broken or faulty or, and what actually is true is that mm. the, is turning you off, whatever you are in the ways in which you are turning yourself off will override your go or your on. Mm. So what I, I'm, I'm circling back to your question, which yeah. is what I see women figure out <laughs> is how am I, how can I release some of those things that I'm doing to turn myself off?
2: Mm.
1: What are those things? I mean, Esther Perel talks about this you know, extensively. Uh, uh, what am I doing to turn myself off? And when we recognize those things and, and release those, mm-hmm. some are big, heavy things, and we've addressed some of those.
2: Mm. Some
1: are more like we need a lock on the bedroom door. Yeah, he, period.
2: Yep. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I'm just saying they're 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 smaller and they're bigger, mm-hmm, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When we're, we allow ourselves to decrease those offs, ooh, our on gets a lot more touchy,
2: mm, <laughs> right? It's yeah. a lot
1: more sensitive because we open up ourselves to permission to go. Yes. And I do see that women, I mean, I get so excited because they become so free around their bodies, accepting their bodies where they are, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: embracing that their bodies and brains work together Mm -hmm. and that it is all one, and then allowing themselves to experience every sensation of pleasure I mean, I have the goosebumps. It is, it's all that
2: mm-hmm. and more. Mm-hmm.
1: And and also I think that they say they feel a lot more connection if they're partnered to a partner who is coming on the journey with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, I could go on and on, but there's just a lot of freedom there and a lot of permission. Oh, man. I, and thus a lot of pleasure.
0: Oh, come on. Come on. I love that. I think you know, when 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 you hear when you say that, I'm thinking about sometimes we think we need to add more Mm. foreplay, add more candle, music, add and yes, maybe sometimes we do need to add more. But what I'm hearing you say is, oh, but what's even more powerful is removing the the things that are preventing you to experience Mm -hmm. and to be fully present in that moment and that's not always about the the candle and the music and the whatever or the time or the 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 it's sometimes that's about the lock on the door removing the preoccupation with if someone else can get in here or Mm -hmm. so i i just want to restate that to say Man, that, that means so much to me to hear that because I feel like I hear it in financial settings when it's like, well, it's not always about adding more money. It's about remo- let's remove some of the expenditures to get us in the right zone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or when you're planting in a garden, it's like it's not always about adding more seed or adding more water, adding more sun. Sometimes about removing the things that are stealing the nutrients. And so all of that clicked for me when you said that.
1: Great analogy. Love it.
0: Cindy, Thank you so much for your time, your story, and more importantly, all the work you do to give people permission for pleasure. How would you prefer people find you, participate with you, join along in the journey? Would you share with us how we can get connected to you?
1: Thank you. Yes, I would. I think the uh, the easiest way is just to my website. Probably it's cindysharkey.com. You can find everything there. It's c i n d y s c h a r k e y. You can find the blog there where I write and answer the questions that I am so frequently asked, or you can find the podcast, um, find how to reach me. Love to have you join me there. My community is um, growing and I feel like it's a safe space. So you're invited.
0: I love that. Thank you, Cindy. And I think if you've listened today, I I would, Hope and I trust that like something landed with you, whether it's in some of the logistical kind of um, tactical changes, or if it's a deeper transformational thing for you. I, 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 if you're watching some of the posts we'll put up about this, you can see Cindy smile, and if you're listening, you've just heard all of her experience with people. Really, to declare, you're not alone. You are not broken this is something that we all experience, especially those of us who grew up in conservative religious homes, and that there is so much hope to experience freedom and love and embracing your body and experiencing pleasure. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. So much love and respect. You are not alone, and you are so loved. Peace.